Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we are starting a short series that we're going to be doing for the next uh, several weeks. That's what you say when you don't know how long it's actually going to go. Uh, but we have entitled this series, Who Are You? Uh, who are you? Over the last years we've been going through Matthew, we've talked a lot about your identity. Uh, what do you find your identity in? Uh, what makes you you? We've talked a lot about uh, what does it mean to pursue Christ-likeness? Uh, what does it mean to uh, be able to take, and something that we've mentioned in our history is, if you really want to find out what's important to you, if you really want to find out uh, what you worship, what you desire, what you're passionate about, uh, all you have to do, it's a very simple step, uh, find out where you spend your time. Like, what do you spend your time doing? When you have free time, um, and everybody goes, oh, I wish I had free time. No, you, I promise you, you have free time. Where do you spend your money? What do you spend your money on? And also, how do you use your talents, abilities, uh, and gifting? What do your relationships look like? Uh, when we kind of take into account these different areas, you'll find out really quickly what you truly worship, what you truly desire. But then when asked with the question, uh, who am I? Um, our staff went through a book this last year called Unique, Y-O-U-N-I-Q-U-E. It's a play on the word unique. And in that book, the author is talking about God has specifically created you to be a professional you. God has specifically designed you and given you talents, abilities, and gifts. He's given you resources, everything that God has done specifically for you in his intimate and loving creation that there is only one you. He has designed you to be a professional you, yet so much of the time we are trying to be a professional somebody else. Uh, so much of the time we are chasing after something that just wasn't what we were designed to be. And so that's what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we are going to look at who are you. When we examine these areas of, uh, of how we use our time and how we use our resources and how we use our abilities, gifts, and talents, I'm just going to say abilities, but understand I feel like those are three very distinct things, abilities, talents, and God's gifting to you. Uh, but I'm just going to say abilities, and it's going to cover all of them. When we look at those things and how we use those, uh, what does that say about us and how we view ourselves and how, what we are truly passionate and what we truly desire? And so we are going to start by looking through this uh, in the Lord's Prayer. And I'm doing this as an overarching intro this week and over the next several weeks uh, we're going to go through an, a, almost a theological overview of all of these areas and then come back and walk through them in practical ways and how we now live these out. Uh, we kind of have a uh, running joke here and that is if you want to meet everybody in our church you have to come three weeks in a row. Uh, it's just the nature of Saturday nights. Apparently, we compete with things like college football and birthday parties and weddings and uh, you name it. It's just how it is. It's fine. Uh, because we also believe that church is what happens during the week as well. Uh, and so uh, we are fully aware, but we wanted to do this overview, and we wanted to hit on it several times to make sure that it just becomes uh, something we want to add to our culture when we hear the question, who are you, that it sticks. 
that when we go through our daily lives and the decisions that we make, that we are asking ourselves, uh, who am I in God's eyes? And so when we want to start in this overview of starting in the Lord's Prayer, and we talked about it a year ago, uh, what is the Lord's Prayer, and have we really examined something that uh, almost anybody who may never even go to church can quote? I remember watching high school football and uh, public high schools, and they would quote the prayers like this team bonding experience before the game. And, uh, and then when you started to examine it, and uh, as we were going through the book of Matthew, going, like, do, do I even really know what this means? Do I even really know the, the depth of the Lord's Prayer? And if this is something Jesus actually said, pray like this, have we really examined it? And then you examine it, but then when you were starting to look through uh, this idea of how I spend my time and money, have I ever examined that through the Lord's Prayer? And so that's what we're going to do this evening. So hopefully you're in Matthew chapter 6 and you can read along with me starting in verse 9. It says, this then is how you should pray. This is Jesus speaking during the Sermon on the Mount. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That very first line, our Father in heaven, and even those first two words, our Father is telling, uh, it is Jesus telling us how we should then see our identity. Our Father. That idea, especially in Roman and the uh, Jewish culture, the Father was the head of the entire household. Anybody that was living in his house, he was in charge of. Even so much, especially in Roman culture, he could decide who lived and who didn't at any moment. And he was in total, had the legal legality to do so. Uh, He could decide if his son was just continually disobeying him, that he could have him put to death and it was totally fine. And so we tend to have an Americanized view of being a father and even more so of like, well, that's also my buddy and my friend. This is a, not just a view of the Jewish and Roman culture, but even more so of this heavenly father. Uh, All that that entails with it, just that God is the creator, that he created you exactly how he wanted you to be, that God is the author and perfecter of life. He wrote your story. He knew what your story was going to involve, and he had a way of demonstrating his glory in it, that God Almighty is a sovereign God, all-knowing and in control of all things, that nothing happens without his knowledge of it. And so when we call out our Father, we said every morning we should call out because, number one, it creates a gospel humility in ourselves when we realize who we are in comparison with this perfect creator, God, Father. And that gospel humility should bring about a gospel self-awareness that should carry us throughout the day that as we fight for our own pride, as we fight to make our name great, to remember that, no, we have been tasked by an almighty God who is our Father to demonstrate His glory in everything we do. So that calling out of our Father should be this humbling experience on our part of recognizing uh, who God is and who we are, and just like a father, that we should be able to view him and say, what would you have me to do today? 
the overarching problem with us humans is that we have a misplaced identity. Our identity as a child of God, uh, that we are created for a specific purpose. When we call out Father, we know that He does not make mistakes, and so what He has created you to be, what He has allowed you to go through, everything that makes you, you, that nobody else can be, He specifically designed that in His intimate love for you to be able to do what He is calling you to do. Uh, We've mentioned this verse a lot over the last year, Luke 6, 46, when people are coming up to Jesus and saying, Lord, Lord, and he looks at them and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I always have the picture of uh, being a boss of a workplace, and you're at a Christmas party, and this guy you've seen around the office a couple times comes up, and he introduces you, and he's like, oh, by the way, these are my parents, and this is the best boss I've ever had. And you're like, I'm not your boss. I don't, I don't know you. Like, you don't, what do you mean I'm your, oh, wait, we did hire you. I think I've seen you twice. And he's just going, oh, man, he's this great boss, and like, no, I don't, like, I now realize I should have fired you. Like, you're terrible. You don't do anything we've asked you to do. You don't come to work. You don't show up. When you have been given assignments in the past, you never do them. Why am I the best boss you've ever had? You're fired. And it sounds funny, but when we think about it in a spiritual aspect, how often do we say, oh, Father in heaven? And he's saying, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I've asked you to do. Like, if I'm actually your Lord, there will be an obedience aspect to it. There will be a following of what I've asked of you. And so when it comes to how we use our time and our money and our abilities for God's glory, understand the Bible is very clear. And it gives multiple examples, and it gives the same instruction multiple times. The biggest reason we have a hard time understanding when it comes to our time and money and our abilities and using them for God's glory is actually quite simple. It's because we want to be king. And we want to make our kingdom great. And this will always compete with King Jesus and his kingdom. What did he go on to say in the Sermon on the Mount? You cannot serve two masters, but we find ourselves doing it all the time. We want to be king, but we also want to call Jesus king. We want to promote our kingdom and are willing to use all of our time, our resources, and our abilities to do so, but we also want to say we're all about God's kingdom. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You call me Father. You call me the perfect creator, God, and Father, yet you do not do what I've asked you to do. You do not follow the instructions that I've given you when it comes to these three areas of your life. In fact, some would say the main areas of your life. The second line, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. That word hallowed is so much more to it that the word Reverence doesn't quite match. It brings with it the idea of complete holiness, that this is a revered and holy name, but along with it 
comes that we, uh, as representatives of this kingdom, everything we do should be pointing people back to the holiness of who God is. Uh, Paul David Tripp says, these four words, hallowed be your name, are more than a prayer for God's name to be known and revered. They are a commitment to expend the time, energy, and resources you have to that end. When we say, hallowed be your name, we're also saying your name is holy, meaning your name, that word holy, means set apart for a special and incredibly significant purpose. And so, Lord, help us to represent you by what we do in our lives to point people to the holiness, that, that beautifulness that you have been set apart. Help us to be set apart for that purpose. I want you to turn to First Peter chapter 1 with me. And we, we see this, and by the way, this passage in First Peter you're going to be seeing several times throughout this series. We're just going to touch on a smaller part of it tonight. First Peter, starting in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, he starts off that first part of chapter 1, and he's explaining, now that you know Christ, now that you have made him the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, now that that is what you're saying, your identity is connected with, and then you're going to see the word therefore at the beginning here in verse 13, therefore, now that you know Christ, now that you have your identity has been changed because of what he has accomplished on the cross and the empty grave, he says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, that idea, we are children, he is God, our God, our Father in heaven. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. That phrase, be holy as I am holy. That is what we are actually trying to pursue 
is holiness. If we believe in the Lord, if we have made him the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, this comes back to how we view ourselves. If we view ourselves as a child of God, that we have a relationship with God because we believe that what Jesus accomplished on the cross and the empty grave, that he defeated sin and death, that we have now forgiveness of sins, then the desire and ability to manage our time and resources and abilities has clear principles and guidelines. If you don't know Jesus, then quite simply you are living for yourselves. And that will always be hard to manage because then you dictate how to manage these things. And honestly, you change all the time. So the question for those that are here this evening that do know the Lord is, how are you practicing holiness? If the goal for us who believe in Christ, who uh, follow after him, if the goal is Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness is holiness. But Christ-likeness sounds better a lot of times than holiness, because holiness is, sounds really holy. That sounds very hard to achieve. But that is what the goal is for those of you who have put their faith in Christ, is we are to be holy as he is holy. So if you are a believer and you struggle managing time, money, and abilities, it is because of a war that is being waged inside you every day, a war that is being waged inside you with every decision that you make. The next line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray, God, help us to build your kingdom. And as we've said, uh, the strategy here, what Jesus talked about so much when he was here on earth was building his kingdom. Build my kingdom. My kingdom has come. And then we've talked about how the church, the body and bride of Christ, is the strategy for building that kingdom here on earth. But we pray, your kingdom come. Right? We all want that. We've talked about as Jesus is doing these miracles. When he's doing these miracles, he's just establishing, he's bringing order back to what he had first created in the perfect world in the Garden of Eden. And so when he is healing people, he's just showing how he restores things, how he redeems things back to how they were originally when everything was perfect in the Garden of Eden, demonstrating his power. And so we say, your kingdom come, because your kingdom sounds amazing. And then we say, your will be done. And he's like, well, here's my will. And we're like, that sounds tough. Let's go back to that kingdom part where you heal stuff. That sounds great. And everything's perfect. And then we say, on earth as it is in heaven, meaning, Lord, when you give us a command, help us to obey like the angels obey your every command without second-guessing it in heaven. When God wants his will done and he gives instruction to the angels, it's done. The angels go and do it. And so we're saying, Lord, Help us to do that. Help us to obey the way that the angels obey you in heaven. When, you, when we say, Lord, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, and he's like, well, then do this. And we're like, oh, no, I've got like, a lot of excuses for that. Like, not entirely done like it is in heaven. Uh, once I get things figured out, then I'll obey you. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that battle that I was just talking about, the battle that is being waged is a battle, again, between your will and God's will, between my will and God's will. It is a battle that is uh, being waged between 
us obeying King Jesus and us wanting to be, in my case, King Rob. It is a battle between God's kingdom that will be established for all eternity that he is inviting us to be part of and take part in. But man, do I constantly war for Rob's battle that as soon as I take my last breath here on earth, it's done. Rob's kingdom, not going to last a long time. Although I am still very young. (laughs) And in great health. But what kingdom are you really trying to build? Because if we truly want to establish God's kingdom and we view ourselves as a child of God that has been set apart, that as we are processing through what it is to be holy as he is holy, so we are set apart for a specific purpose that he has exactly designed you to fulfill and to represent his kingdom in everything we are and have and own, and then we have been given these clear guidelines in in Scripture, it will show. When we try to represent God, but in the majority of time and money and relationships and abilities we have, but we are never consulting God, we are never seeking God out in prayer, we do what we want, And what's left over we give to God. You know, unless something else pops up. we got to be ready for that. And, uh, you know, that looks fun, so I'll do that too. I've uh, been talking with several pastors, and this has been kind of something that churches, I believe, since the beginning of time, if we consult Scripture, have been telling us is we will always be fighting for what we want. And we will fight for what we want. We will always fight for what we desire. We always fight for what we think will bring us happiness here on earth. We will give to it. We will sacrifice for it. And churches, uh, as I've been talking to them um, and helping a couple church planners who are getting up and going in different cities, I just always tell them, like, hey, just so you know, and I don't mean this, and I'm sorry if this offends anybody in here, church people are the worst they are. It's like the longer they go to church, and I know because I am one, the more excuses they get. And if they've been at church a long time, they have like volumes full of why they can't do something uh, at church or church-related. They have volume. And like then, if they go to Bible college, they learn how to use like what I call scripture band-aids on top of the excuses. Like, I'd love to do that, but you know, I have this, and scripture tells us like, go to the baseball game. I don't think that's what it's saying. I don't think that's what it's saying in that passage. I don't even think baseball existed back then. But we do it all the time. I am very guilty of this myself. We use excuses, and that's that battle for our kingdom and his kingdom, is we are so good at justifying our kingdom. We are so good at building our kingdom. We are professionals at it. We go back to Luke 6:46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As a holy, loving God, why are you not obeying me? I know what's best for you. The next part, the next line. Give us today our daily bread. Do we truly understand what that means? Do we truly understand when we say, give us today our daily bread? Do we, can we even decipher between what we want and what we need in life? Let's be honest with ourselves. I'm terrible at this. 
It's like, oh, I really need that. No, I don't. I don't need whatever it is. Chances of me actually needing it, not good. I need this tennis racket from the thrift store. I played tennis when I was 14. I'll probably take it up again now that I'm 24. I need that. But we go through when we're in a store and everything, every commercial, whatever we are, are telling us that we need it, and they're probably right. I do need that. I still, no matter how many commercials my wife watches, I still have never gotten a Lexus SUV for Christmas. They said I needed it, and she's not listening. We need stuff, right? We constantly have this unbelievable, and I've, as I've been studying for this sermon series, just trust me, it has been crushingly convicting. Can we tell the difference between what we need and what we want? Can we, tell the, can we begin to see our desires and what we're truly passionate about coming out? You see, our desires drive us. What we truly worship drives us. What we worship, we serve, we give to, and it brings us happiness, and we want, and we do sacrifice for it in whatever way possible. So here's some fun questions to think through. What brings you more joy? Giving of your time and resources to the body and bride of Christ that he was sacrificed for? or giving of your time and resources to buying or doing something that you really enjoy for yourself. Another fun question. What are you willing to rearrange your schedule for? What are you willing to cancel in order to do this? What are you willing to spend more than you should for? Right? Like, what are you willing to just say, like, well, I technically don't have the money, but I do also have the money or access to it in a month. But I need this now. Have you ever bought multiples of something simply because you wanted it? Maybe you've noticed in this area, there's storage places being built. Multiple levels, climate controlled, anything you could ever want to store stuff, you'll forget you have. Here's a really guilty, fun story I'll share with you that just happened. This last week, my wife went to a wedding, and I had the boys. And I decided, because it was raining outside, I'm going to reorganize our entire closet. And as I was reorganizing our closet, now, we've only lived in this house, uh, March will be two years. And as I was going through the clothes, I realized, like, I feel like I had a different shirt that I haven't seen in a while. And then I, like, was going, I was like, yeah, oh, wait, there was another, there was a sweater uh, that I couldn't find when we were getting ready to do uh, Christmas Eve, which, why was it so cold? We, and I couldn't find that sweater either. And then it hit me. When we moved, I think I put some clothes up in our frog storage space. I had two bins of clothing that I haven't seen in two years. That, as I'm studying to go through this series. And that's just clothes. Tab and I have two small children. We needed a bigger house when we bought this house. And, oh good, there's a two-car garage, because I have stuff. And I'll figure out how to put an addition on the shed, because I have stuff. And then as you're going through your stuff, I was like, I didn't realize I had four of these. I can only use one at one time, but luckily I have four. 
Well, what about you? Enough about me, let's talk about you for a while. (laughs) Have you ever stopped and taken inventory of what you own and what of your possessions you spend the most time on and then compared that to what asking God for your daily bread means? And then adding to that the godly characteristics of joy and thankfulness for whatever God has deemed for you what you need that day. Have you ever thought about the godly characteristic while praying through this part of this passage of what contentment truly is? Or do you find yourself constantly chasing after something you think will finally be it to make you what you think you should be as opposed to what God has designed you to be? Next. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I am so glad that Jesus finishes the prayer with this part. Because when it comes to thinking of debt, we should start with the debt that we owed God for continually sinning against him. That is a debt that we could not pay. That is a debt that was way too big for any human, no matter how many humans got together, no matter how many fortunes were amassed, that still would not overcome the debt of sin to an almighty, holy creator God. So when I go through something like this in my own life, it is incredibly, crushingly, convicting. And as we go through this series, I'm going to share more and more stories about what a horrible person I am. So it is incredibly convicting, and and honestly, I feel beat up and wonder, how can I go on another day? But these two verses are just two of the many verses that I have to continually remind myself of when I feel like all I ever do is mess up. Or when I feel like, how can I teach this to people? I'm the biggest fraud and hypocrite that there is. When I feel like I'll never get it right, I have to remind myself of these passages. I have to remind myself of the overwhelming grace of God. That we can cry out to him, forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. Whatever another human being has done to you is nothing compared to what you've done to God. That all you have ever done since you could first breathe is sin against a holy God. And we can cry out, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. I've said it so many times, no matter what was done to you by somebody is never greater than what you have done to God. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here we go. Here's what I want to finish on this evening. Here are three truths of God's grace to meditate on. 
Because again, if you're like me and you go through this passage, it is crushingly convicting, but we want you to leave with hope. We don't want you to leave feeling beat up. So I want to go through three amazing truths of God's grace for you to meditate on as you leave here this evening. And if these don't do it, maybe the cake will. No, I'm just, just kidding. Cake is nothing in comparison to this. Truth number one, God's grace is more than we can imagine. And it's okay for you to like yell out amen or hallelujah when I say these. I'll try it again. God's grace is more than we can imagine. See, here's the thing. We as human beings, by the way, human beings are terrible people. We have a tendency to put on God our view of grace and mercy. We want to project onto God our view of grace and mercy. And if we are not good at forgiveness in particular, it is hard to see God as forgiving. If we are not gracious, we view God as legalistic, this legalistic judge. If we are not merciful, we view God as holding us to a standard we can't achieve and that God is just this being who exists just to bust you doing something else wrong. But please understand, God is more gracious and merciful than we can comprehend in human understanding. And this should bring great hope for you and me. This should be life-sustaining hope, every daily life-sustaining hope for you and I. That God's grace is more than we can imagine. Number two, the second truth, God forgives, period. God forgives. 1 John 1, 8 through 10, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This passage is so hopeful for me because, number one, it's telling me God knows I'm a sinner. That's not going to surprise him by any way. And also, when other people tell me that they're a sinner, it doesn't surprise me in any way. And hopefully, when I tell other people that I'm a sinner, it shouldn't surprise them. Why? Because we're humans and we're the worst. We sin constantly, but he gives us this ability that in this relationship with him that we can confess our sins and that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love Psalm 51's when David, who after uh, committing adultery, which was probably rape, and then killing the husband when finding out that it was, she was pregnant with his baby, he cries out, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And again, in our earthly grace and mercy, we're like, no, kill him. He doesn't deserve a clean heart, and he doesn't deserve what he's asking for. But when I do, yes, I deserve that. When I sin against other people, I I deserve that. So I love Psalm 51 of this confession of David, and then that part, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 103, David, one of my favorite lines, uh, he says, Lord, I thank you that you do not treat me as my sins deserve, but rather you forgive me and you separate my sins as far as from the east and the west. And so the question that comes along with point number two, knowing that God forgives is, are you willing to confess and repent? 
When we are looking at these areas of how we spend our time and how we spend our, our resources or money and how we use our abilities and talents and gifts, and then as we are examining them through the Word of God, are we willing to confess to God that we're off course? Are we willing to confess to God that we need His forgiveness, that we need to have our spirit made new? And are we willing to repent, meaning are we willing to now do something about it? Are we willing for there to be a difference in our lives as we move forward? And then grace truth number three, and I love this one. God's grace has provided us with everything we need. When we say, give us today our daily bread, God's grace has provided you with everything that you need. It might not be what you want, chances are, but it is everything that you need. And here's what I mean by that. Going back to Romans 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul is writing, so then, and he's explaining grace and now what it is to have this grace, and he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And again, going back to Dr. Davis, Meganoita, by no means, may it never be. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So, Yes, we are so thankful for God's grace, but also we can't continue in it just counting on God's grace to be there. If we are pursuing holiness, there should be changes, and sure, they're small and they're, they're little changes, but do we go on so that we can continue to grow in Him? Because the strength and the knowledge and the instructions and the ability to make these changes, please understand, you can't do them. If you're like me and you're looking at this call to holiness and you're like, I can't do that, just know you're right. You can't. But when we say that God's grace has provided us with everything we need, we go back to John 14 when Jesus is instructing his disciples and he says, oh, by the way, now this isn't what Jesus said, uh, this is what my thinking says, is by the way, you guys, pretty pitiful group, you 11, because the 12th one already like is talking to the elders and I'm about to be arrested. You 11, if anything that I've learned, and uh, reading forward in Matthew, like he goes, oh, you ignorant ones. Like he calls the disciples that. Like, will you never learn? You are so dull-minded. He looks at them and says, by the way, I'm sending you a helper, which is the Holy Spirit, to guide you. If it's anything else that we learn from these 11 disciples is that God can use anybody for his glory. Not because they're great, but because he is great. Because his grace is great. Because he is, meets all of our needs through the Holy Spirit to help us grow and to learn and to desire the word. As First Peter says, like newborn babes desiring milk, that we would crave that righteousness. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness or holiness or Christ-likeness, that we would continue to come back to him if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. If we do what we're supposed to do. And like 1 Thessalonians, where he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, Satan loves to busy our lives up with so much stuff and so many bills and stuff to spend our money on that without realizing it, I truly believe that I myself, along with us, continually quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. But also knowing that 
God, in his all-sufficient grace, is, gives us the Holy Spirit to guide and direct and instruct and gives us this ability, this uh, ability to grow and trust and follow him as we seek to please him in these specific areas of our life that we're talking about. I want to close, hopefully in a passage that brings you great hope. By the way, did everybody get one of these handouts when you came in? Raise your hand if you do not have them. Can you grab those, Will? Just get them to people really quick. Get your hands up, up high if you don't have one. Wow, does everybody have one? All right, one here. All right, in the, I'm seeing some hands now because there will be a test. Now keep your hands up and Will will get these to you. We've gone through a lot of passages this evening, but again, understand this is an overview like I said at the beginning. And this week, we want you to actually take time and and work through some of these passages and answer the questions. And then uh, on the back page, there's a daily prayer, and you can put it into your own words, but this is something that as a body of believers, that as a family, as Hope Church, that we want to do together. But I want to leave with 2 Peter chapter 1, and hopefully this gives you great hope as it does for me this passage. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse Three, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires." For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble." And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This promise, and and I love it because it's actually laid out in a way that is demonstrated. These are progressive steps. There is no timeline. That's also one of my favorite things about this passage is, uh, okay, have all these things done by Wednesday. It's this progressive thing that you will continue to grow in. It is the way, and we don't like that. Like, if you're like me, you want a goal that can be accomplished, but that is not how the life of a believer is laid out, is a continual growing and a next step. And uh, in the actual language, the original language, it's laid out almost like a ladder, that this is one rung, and then there's another rung, and another rung. And he says, and even if you've got them all, if if you've collected the whole set, Continue in increasing measure in each one. For as many days as God has allowed you to live here on earth, He's calling us to live these things out and to continue to grow in them. That we wouldn't just remain where we are, but have this desire to continue to grow.
And so my question I'll leave you with is this. Are you willing to allow him to guide you in this? Are you willing for him to guide you and to call things of you and to bring things up in your life? Are you willing to listen to the Holy Spirit and the calling of what he has for you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that you just haven't given us a bunch of instructions and then walked away, but Lord, that you uh, intimately love each and every one of us. That you love us to the point that you are willing to give your own son to be tortured and murdered so that you could have a relationship with us. Lord, I pray that uh, we wouldn't shrug this off when we leave, that we wouldn't shrug this off, but Lord, that uh, we would continue to go back to your word this week, that we would be open to listening to what you have for us in these areas of our life, that when we see the command to be holy as you are holy, that it brings joy and encouragement knowing that you have also given us the ability to be able to do that. Lord, I pray that we would follow after you, that we would love you with our heart and soul and mind. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.